0: came into sharp focus. In the UK, police identifying the suspect who
1: killed two people on London Bridge. Police say they are investigating a suspected connection with a radical Republican organization, the new IRA.
0: Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. And freedom will be defended. Policing across the world provides many challenges, and no more so than in Nepal. Home to the famous city of Kathmandu and the Mount Everest summit, thousands of people from across the world flock to Nepal every year to explore the incredible scenery and mountainous ranges, with some even lucky enough to conquer the summit that is Mount Everest. In this episode of Protect and Serve, we sit down with former Nepalese police commander Durga Kunwa, an officer who has experienced some of the greatest challenges policing has to offer from tackling local terrorism on the front line to being responsible for protecting and advising the Nepalese king and royal family. And then finally, overseeing the rescue mission following the 2015 earthquake tragedy, which resulted in more than 8,000 people losing their lives and towns and villages across Nepal being flattened as a result. Durga Kunwa is an incredible man, with stories which illustrate the resilience encourage police officers show and demonstrate day in day out regardless of the situation to ensure they can support people in their most dire moments all this and more next on protect and serve all right well welcome back to another episode of protect and serve you know throughout this series so far this year we have been incredibly lucky to speak to some fascinating people. We've explored policing in Australia, we've explored policing in the UK and the US but today is a really special treat um, because we're exploring policing in Nepal which is uh, a really fascinating part of the world and to give some context to how this interview came about uh, I sat down recently and watched a, an incredible documentary on Netflix and um my youngest daughter said, that gentleman on that show might come on your podcast, dad. And I was, you know, I was umming and ahhing thinking, oh, well, that's quite interesting from a nine year old. I might reach out to this chap. Anyway, lo and behold, I reached out to an incredible man by the name of Durga Kunwa, who is was a Nepalese police officer for many, many years. is now living in the US and uh, it's an absolute privilege and an honor to have him on the show this evening. So Durga, welcome onto the podcast. It's uh, lovely to have you on. How are you?
1: Uh, thank you Oliver good evening uh, from this part of the world in fact it's 5 30 exactly in U.S East uh, Eastern time uh so before we proceed and roll on I'm very much thankful to you for again uh, taking me back to all those uh, uh, 20 plus glorious years of my law enforcement career which is uh I would say uh, uh salt and sweet uh, so, uh, I'm glad that together we are going to dig out some of the interesting stories, uh, some of the accomplishments, some of the challenges that we faced along. Uh, so, yeah, it's a great opportunity to be to be here again.
0: Yeah, no, fantastic. And, you know, the one question I always ask my guests when they first come on um, to the podcast is why did you choose a career in law enforcement? What was that first key decision making process like for you?
1: Uh, well, um Uh, Interestingly, I did my school and my college from India, and unfortunately, in India, the law enforcement career is not that lucrative. Uh, It's not that popular as well. So, my initial interest was not to join as a law enforcement officer, but when I went back to Nepal, where I was born, uh, my initial interest, to be candid, was to be an army officer. Uh, uh, So, my elder brother, who was in the uh, Royal Nepalese Army, then uh, he actually persuaded me to go to the law enforcement officer. Uh, uh, I don't know why, uh, but I was a little bit skeptical initially, uh, but later on I decided, okay, let's go on, let's give a shot. Uh, So I don't have any specific reason as of uh, to recall, I mean, why I joined as a law enforcement officer, but since I joined, I have never repented in my entire life uh, that Mm -hmm. I've spent more than 20 years to be a law enforcement officer, trust me on that.
0: So a a very good question that we we like to ask is that often in different parts of the world, family takes a different view to when someone becomes a police officer. What was the support like and the feeling amongst friends and family when you told them all that you were going to be pursuing this career in policing?
1: Uh, Well, uh, my elder brother was very happy. Uh, uh, Likewise, my mom and dad... uh, 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 because my whole family, they actually come from the uniform background. So actually I was the one who actually joined as a law enforcement officer rest of others. Uh, my grandfather, my great grandfather, uh, my father, my uncle and my elder brother, they actually joined, uh, the army. Um, uh, so I was the first in my sibling. Uh, I would rather say that who joined a law enforcement officer. So being in as a uniform officer did bring them a lot of, uh, pride, uh, Uh, I I would say they would have preferred me to go as an army officer. But uh, Mm -hmm. when I joined as a police officer in Nepal police, uh, uh, I don't remember any time they have lamented or or they have, uh, you know, said that, oh, you know, you would have chosen some other job rather than going as a police officer. So, yeah, they were proud, uh, I must say.
0: So, you know, this is uh, this podcast goes out across the world and, and it's listened to by many, many, many people from different backgrounds and and for those that are unfamiliar with nepal tell us about nepal as a region as a country and as as the culture and the and and the differences between for instance the uk and nepal and other and other societies uh
1: right i mean uh yeah i mean i uh i i was very surprised when i came to u.s and uh when most of the people used to ask me where are you from and uh i used to i'm um, i'm from nepal and most of the people most of the folks they would say whoa where is it i mean what is nepal uh, <laughs> so unfortunately the most of the people in this part of the world uh they, they hardly know anything about nepal but nepal is a fabulous country although it's a very small country a mountainous country which is wedged between a uh, gigantic india and china uh we have a diverse uh, topography. Uh, it, it, it goes down to 67 meters uh, down south, which is close to India to 884, 8.86 meters, which is Mount Everest, uh, which is actually in Nepal. Um, uh, exceptionally, within the 200 kilometers of horizontal, if you go from east to west, that is actually 200, uh, roughly 200 kilometers. Uh, uh, but you can get the, the the variety of climates that ranges or varies from subtropical uh, tropical in the south to coral forests in the north. Uh, so it's one of the beautiful countries, one of the major resources is uh, tourism. Uh, a lot of people all around the world they actually visit Nepal. Um, you know, especially if you are interested in in uh, in in adventurous sports, uh, trekking, uh, alpine mountaineering, all those kind of things. Uh, yeah, so Nepal is one of the most beautiful country. It's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not uh, that rich uh, when you come to the economic point of view, but when you come to the culturally, diversity, uh, uh, geography, uh, I mean, yeah, it's one of the richest countries in the world. I, I would encourage everyone to go to Nepal at, uh, at least once in a lifetime. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the beautiful country in the world,
0: I must say, so, Oliver. So, so, one of the key features of Nepal is obviously Kathmandu, and obviously near Kathmandu is obviously the famous Mount Everest. So, would I be right in saying that most of the people that would visit Nepal ordinarily are those seeking to reach the summit of Mount Everest via Kathmandu? And, and what is Kathmandu like as a as an area?
1: Uh, well, Kathmandu is, is is one of the metropolitan city in Nepal. Uh, uh, it's actually a valley which is surrounded by uh, mountains all over. 360 um, is one of the booming city of the world. And if you remember, there was a famous song by Bob Seeger in 1970s, you know, uh, you know, about the Kathmandu. So it was very popular during the 70s, during the hippie days. Uh, uh, is the city of Temple. Uh, and I would say it's not a city. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a cultural uh you know hobnob where where you would find a home away from the home uh uh, is a political seat of nepal as well and most of the people who want to go to mount everest or who want to go anywhere else uh, they they actually end up in Kathmandu, or they come they have to go through the Kathmandu, because as of now we have only one international airport which is situated in Kathmandu, so you cannot avoid it uh, so most of the people, when they make a travel plan, they say, okay, I'm going to stay one or two days in Kathmandu, but trust me, when they reach Kathmandu, they extend their stay in the Kathmandu Valley itself. So it's, 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 it's kind of a mesmerizing city uh, with its own uh, aesthetic, you know, uh, culture, uh, beauty. I mean, it's, I would say is a mixture of uh, a metropolitan city. Uh, also, we have not given up uh, the rich culture that we have throughout the centuries. Bollywood.
0: So talk us through, so you joined the Nepal police in 1995 as a police inspector, talk us through because one of the often things we love to reflect on is the training and going through that process and the challenges of training and understand legislation, policy procedure and other, you know, operational safety um, habits that you need to get used to. What was that training like for you going into the Nepalese police?
1: Uh, Well, um, Oliver, uh, that was uh, one of the decisions that actually was not spontaneous to me. Uh, I was interested to pursue my career somewhere else when I graduated from India, uh, but as I said before, uh, it was actually the interest of my my parents and also my elder brother who wanted me to go as a law enforcement officer. And trust me, uh, when I came back to Nepal, I was not able to speak Nepali properly. So because I never stood, I never had any formal education on the Nepali language. Uh, luckily, I was very good in Hindi, uh, which is the official language of India, and the script is almost all the same. Uh, having said that, I had a lot of trouble when I went to the training uh, uh, during my indoor examinations. Uh, so physically, I mean, it was tough. Uh, you, I mean, you know that all the trainings, uh, no matter whether you go to the Nepalese army or to the Nepal police, you know, they have got certain criteria of uh, the physical aptitude test and you have to go through it. So that is something which is non-negotiable. So I had no issues at all uh, as far as the physical uh, aptitude test was concerned throughout my training of more than 15 and 16 months. Uh, But initially I had a lot of hiccup uh, catching up uh, with the Nepalese language. I mean, it it seems very... uh, uh, very unorthodox, you know. Being a Nepali citizen, I mean, I had a trouble with the Nepalese language. Yes, because I spent almost twenty years of my formative years in India, mm. uh, so that was one of the challenges for me. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I, I took it as an opportunity, and 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 throughout my career, you know, I made sure unless I don't learn Nepali, I won't be able to, uh, you know, go to the society where I have uh, place to 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 serve. Uh, so that was one of the challenges that I confronted in my initial days. Uh, uh, but apart from that, the training itself was uh, very tough, uh, very gruesome. Uh, uh, same like, you know, the training that happens in UK, US, Australia, uh, you know, across across the globe. Uh, yeah, so the training itself was, was, was very, very fun, very good. Uh, yeah, they give emphasis on all the legislative uh, kind of thing, uh, you, you know, you have to be very good on 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 um, on implementing the law as a police officer so by the time you graduate you know I mean you don't uh, i mean I mean you can't say that you are a fresh officer you know when you go to the field you are exposed you have to do uh, yeah. as a seasoned police officer yeah so they train all all on that and i was lucky uh to have one of the best training uh, uh with the nepal police
0: so when you when you graduate from the nepalese police academy um what was it like your first day working in a capital which is rich in culture, history, and you're still getting to grips with the local dialect language? What was it like policing there?
1: Um, Oliver, unfortunately, uh, uh, I went to my basic training uh, in 1995. Uh, uh, during the training, unfortunately, uh, uh, we we had a problem of the Maoist conflict, uh, uh, so when we graduated uh, uh uh we were given you know the 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 out for 10 days and then after 10 days you know we were supposed i was actually posted in katmandu valley after my initial training uh, period mm. uh but when they gave uh, you know the outing for 10 days we came back and all of a sudden we had a commandant for the training center he said okay we have a new situation uh now there is a Maoist conflict in Nepal. Uh, so we need some of the finest officers to go for the commander training, which would be given by the special forces of the Royal Nepalese Army. Wow. Um, yeah, so all of a sudden uh, uh, I realized, okay, I chose to be a law enforcement officer, but now the thing is uh, we have to be uh, like a military officer now, you know, because I was I was all around third in my basic. So there was no way out, I could opt out. Uh, so, so they said, okay, now your previous deployment has been cancelled. Uh, at least I need five officers, including me, uh, to report to the uh, to to report to the Royal Nepalese Army for uh, the kind of special forces training. So it was kind of upside down for me. You know, all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, the whole thing actually changed overnight. So that actually changed uh, the whole course of my uh, uh, my policing career further, Oliver. So-
0: so so how did that make you feel? Because, you know, here you are, you know, you said your family would have ideally liked you to have gone into the military as an officer. You've chosen this law enforcement career um, because, you know, f- for your own personal reasons. You graduate and then you're given a new assignment to almost immerse yourself into a military operation to deal with a significant issue that that Nepal is facing, what were the thoughts and feelings and anxieties that you were going through? Uh well, uh, then I, I I talked to my brother who was who was actually with the special forces in
1: Nepal, and he was one of my instructor. Uh, you know, because there would be a conflict of interest, so he was not on board uh, after the initial training. Uh, but then, but then I talked to him. He said. Uh, uh, you know the training is going to be tough. I mean, it's going to be a lot tougher than what we did in the basic training, and we were unfortunately, unfortunately, we were the first batch from the Nepal Police. To be trained by the military officers, and you know how orthodox the military uh, chain of command is. Uh, so there was no leverage, uh, there was no flexibility at all. So they wanted to prove their own efficiency, or they want to leave, give their own, you know, uh, kind of impression. You know how good the Nepalese military is. So we were the first batch who bear all the brunt. Uh, so you know, I had no option at all. Uh, so I, uh, you know, I could not just raise my hand. I say, okay, I'm not interested in it. Uh, somehow. You know i wanted to be a military officer so i thought it's the destiny which has actually driven me uh, to wear the uniform of the law enforcement but to be trained as a military officer so mm-hmm. i took it as a challenge so and uh, after that immediately after the basic training and we went for the special forces training for more than three months uh, and when we came back from the training a special unit was established within the nepal police to fight against terrorism fight against maoist conflict so uh, we were the first batch who were trained and ranged as a new unit is called the special task force which is still there in Nepal police if you go back uh so we were the first batch who were trained uh and and, and pressed by the by the Royal Nepalese armies then uh uh yeah and then and, and and then after that maybe for three or four years I was totally involved uh in the in the in the. In the in the
0: Maoist conflict or uh, the uh, the anti-terrorism operations. On the streets of Kathmandu, it's an intimidating sight: members and supporters of Nepal's Maoist party exercising in the morning. Maoists attacked our convoy of over twenty-five vehicles. The rebels surrounded us. Police say a landmine exploded, hitting one of the vehicles in the convoy before as many as 200 rebels opened fire. So tell us about that conflict, the, the, the Maoist insurgency. You know, for our, for our viewers who may not be familiar with it, what was it? Where did it come from? And, and importantly, how did you deal with it? Uh, so, um,
1: so as, as by name, the Maoist conflict is a radical, uh, uh, you know, the the communist i would say uh indoctrination so you know nepal is a poor country especially when you go to the far flung areas mm. there is a lot of disparity there is unemployment and then uh in in our culture uh you know uh, there is uh a, you know a kind of segregation on the basis of uh on the uh, on the basis of uh, uh, your religion you know there is a touchability and untouchability caste so most of the people who were who were in the lower rung of their own uh uh, own uh, religion, you know, they 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 felt that they are not in the in the uh, in the mainstream line of the Nepalese development policies and all. So actually, that made a kind of in alienation to the local population, uh, which was mm-hmm. uh, that sentiment was captured by by the Maoist communists, you know, and then uh, and then they raised uh, uh, you know kind of a revolution, the armed conflict in the far flung areas. Uh, so they wanted to establish an absolutely communist regime in all over Nepal. If you remember, uh, we had the monarchy, uh, the, uh, the democratic monarchy in Nepal uh, with a multi-party system. Uh, so they said that we don't want this system, we want to replace the democratic multi-party system with the absolute communist system in Nepal. So that was their political agenda. Uh, and uh, they raised an armed conflict against uh, the government. Uh, so as a law enforcement officer, we had to respond uh, to that conflict, uh, I mean, in the best way as we can.
0: And what were some of those strategies that you are you able to tell us that, that caused you to be successful or some of the challenges that confronted you and, and, and how did you manage those personally and professionally?
1: Uh, yeah, so the, the one of the initial challenge was, as you know, we were only 120 officers who were trained uh, in the Special Tactics by the Royal Nepalese Army. So if you compare the whole Nepal and... Uh, the way the Maoist incident were targeting the the police post uh, and also the developmental office, NGOs and NGOs and other the civilian government offices. So, I mean, how would you respond with that? Uh, with that, officers, barely 120 mm. officers, you can do nothing. Uh,
0: there's been quite a lot of pre-election violence. A lot of it has been linked to some Maoist supporters. Does this come under your command?
1: No, we have not any policy. We are fully committed to have a peaceful election, free and fair
0: election. It's being called one of the most lethal attacks ever by Maoist rebels. According to the Home Ministry, the Maoists are now present in 20 of India's twenty-eight states and have thousands of fighters. The Prime Minister says the Maoists pose the most dangerous threat to India's internal security.
1: So so basically in the initial phase of our, our, our engagement, we were actually involved in, in, in raising more officers. You know, we were actually given the TOT training for trainers, and then we were actually involved. Uh, to 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 generate and groom the new officers so that they can they can come on board as a uh, as a special task force and we knew this moisture conflict is going to grow you know in the near future the way they were expanding the way uh, you know they were moving ahead and we knew there would be a problem initially uh, that has to be confronted by the Nepal police and you know the Nepal police were not prepared at all uh, except we were uh, so that was the initial challenge for us. Uh, so we were actually responding to each and every situations all over Nepal, uh, especially in the Midwest and the western region of Nepal. So initially we had a lot of challenge. Uh, all the police unit, they were asking for kind of reinforcement, you know, from the special task force. Uh, uh, we were not able to respond to each and every situation, uh, you know, because of the paucity of the resources and the manpower. Uh, and also as day as passed by, Uh, The Maoists were becoming more uh, kind of, uh, you know, brutal. Uh, They were attacking the police posts, you know, and they were looting all the weapons, uh, you know, from the police officers and all. And the more and more uh, the police officers were killed. Uh, So it was it was getting back to worse. Uh, So that was the initial challenge for us, uh, you know, in the formative years, uh, you know, when uh, the special task force was raised.
0: So, So you're almost dealing with armed conflict. In various different areas of the country, which you are having to prioritise which areas that you could respond to effectively. Were you able to then in your early stages carry out any sort of what you would to be considered to be police investigations to hold any of these individuals to account for their for their actions and, and, and ultimately arrest these people for, for wrongdoings against Nepalese people?
1: Uh, well, in the initial days, uh, you know, we were, uh, as I said you before, you know, we were low with uh, uh, the human resources, uh, with the manpower yeah. and all. I mean, you could not address each and every situation with 120 people. Uh, and everyone we are asking our own support from east to west, northwest. So we were actually, uh, uh, you know, engaged uh, on the, uh, um, you know, the case by case basis, uh I do remember in one of the situation when one of the police post was uh, was uh, attacked uh, and it was overrun uh, by the most. Uh, they killed a couple of the police officers, they looted all the weapons and guns and also uh, we actually responded to that situation. Uh, wow. And actually, I went to the ground zero. Um, and then after that, we started the calming operations. And to my astonishment, I mean, uh, none of the local people, they came forward and they gave us any formations. Uh, you know, where those people came from, you know, uh, we had the information that there were more than 1000 people who were actually attacked in power, the police force, who, which was barely manned by seven officers, you know, and I know, I mean, those, if you if you, if you count the the, the the population of the whole village, it won't go beyond 3000 young people. So where did those people came from? Absolutely, they came from the different districts, uh, but none of the people, the local people would share any information to us, you know, uh, that could lead to. Uh, you know uh to to recover those looted weapons so initially you know i mean uh, uh, the communists you know they have their own base areas so so uh, so so what happened was you know when more and more police post was rampaged were attacked uh, unfortunately the police also became brutal so that actually alienated those people supporting the law enforcement officer to give any information and that was the exact purpose of the Maoist conflict, you know, to de-alienate the whole population, you know, from Mm. the government so that they can play on that murky water. So so that actually led to the spread of the of the Maoist conflict from the Western and Midwestern region to the other part of Nepal, unfortunately. Uh, So whenever we used to go for any investigations, you know, I mean, trust me, Oliver, none of the local people would come forward and assist us, you know, and we also had Uh, the continuous you know kind of a threat to be attacked on us as well you know so we were actually sandwiched between uh the government order you know to make uh, successful investigations but at the same time we were also sandwiched between uh you know i mean you you never know where those people will come from and and you would be under attack as well so the initial uh days uh were very tough uh trust me i mean especially when uh, the law enforcement officer they were cladded like uh uh, you know, the 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 commandos, you know, I mean, they would hardly differentiate whether they are the police officers or the military officers, you know, uh, and they would be very hostile on us as well. Uh, so when they fail to give us any kind of information, the, some of the troops or some of the officers, you know, would go for the third degree method, you know, to extract the informations. So that actually led the further de-alienation of the local population from the government, you know, and that was one of the reasons when I recall uh, why the moist conflict actually spread all over Nepal like a wildfire.
0: It seems to me that the the primary objective really was to destabilize the government by influencing local people to turn against and not support local government officials or government officials in any sort of position so that ultimately they could influence their cause and and... and be successful in ultimately what they wanted to achieve and I must I must imagine that must have been quite a, not a I suppose quite a scary period of time for you in terms of what you were setting out to do was, was there any moment in your career in those early stages where you were concerned for your own safety in the role that you were carrying out
1: absolutely Oliver throughout throughout my career you know uh, uh, I mean I mean there was a looming threat uh, to your own life as well and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the days when we didn't had any any cell phones, you know, uh, and and I'm 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 talking about a country uh, where more than eighty percent of its landscape is is mountainous and 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 hilly regions, you know. So there are many areas where, uh, you know, there is no communication at all. Even your radio would not work. Uh, you see, you are on your own, you know, kind of uh, as if as if you have been airlifted and you have dropped in the Amazon jungle, and they said, okay, now now it's all yours. No enforcement, no mm. nothing that was the exact situation that we went through actually wow. and then uh, yeah so so we were supposed to survive uh, it's called uh, the the survival of the land so we were actually basically on our own and if you talk about the weapon i'm telling you it was 303 the Lee Infield 303 the the world war first uh you know the you know the weapon which was totally obsolete you know for us uh to fight against the maoist terrorists uh so yeah, it was a huge challenge for us, you know, and, and 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 especially the one thing that worked initially was, you know, the Maoist combatant. They came to know, you know, there is a special forces in the Nepal Police as well who is trained by the military. So in the initial phase of our engagement. They didn't come to the contact, you know, so they used to have evasive tactics so that they can avoid us. Uh, but gradually what they did was, you know, they built up a base areas where they had their own proxy government, you know, so they would uh, exactly what you said. So their main aim was to de you know, the government um, you know, machinery uh, from the rural areas and then they could establish their own, uh, they, they, they used to call it the people's government. Uh, they had their own uh, law enforcement officer. They had their own, uh, you know, the kangaroo court. Uh, they would confiscate uh, all the 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 private property and the land uh, of uh, you know the kind of uh, you know, the local people. So it was a kind of you know a class conflict. Uh, you know, so it was, uh, and 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 there were people who were actually supporting the Maoists, not to uh, not 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 the. Uh, the law enforcement officers who were actually there uh, to safeguard them from the Maoist insurgency. Uh, you know, so, yeah, it was really tough. It was really tough.
0: This is where the wounded from the attack on the convoy were brought. It's reported that a landmine was detonated under one of their vehicles, and then they were fired upon. This is the second time in just over a week that Maoist rebels have been involved in a shootout. Eight days ago, the rebels attacked a security force convoy in the same area. And after this, sort of during this period, you you took on this role as the um, aide de camp to His Majesty the King of Nepal. Quite an incredible role to take on. Tell us what led you into that direction of policing, and 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 what it must have been like working as a senior advisor to the, His Majesty the King of Nepal.
1: Yeah, that 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 actually happened when I came back for, from a brief stint. Uh, uh as a tactical commander uh, where i spent more than a year and a half uh, fighting with the maoist insurgency uh so uh, you know i mean there is a specific tenure i mean you cannot afford to deploy one officer for the rest of his life to fight against the maoist you know so after finishing my tenure uh uh you know as a as a stf commander uh so i went back for my normal policing as an investigative officer uh, that was in the eastern part of nepal uh, so all of a sudden, one day I was, I, I, I was called and I was told, OK, so you have to come back to the Kathmandu to train other batch of these special forces. Uh, so I came back to Kathmandu and actually I was in the training center and I had spent about a month as a, as a trainer. And all of a sudden in the evening, one day I, I got a call from the headquarters and, and, and they, they told me that I have been selected as an ADC uh, to the His Majesty King. So that is actually, at that time, that was one of the most, I would say, covert or reputed uh, posting you could ever imagine. So I was mm. uh, surprised and I was shocked. Oh, my God, I, I mean, is this true? Uh, they said, <laughs> yeah, we don't have any time. Yeah, uh, so I, I I got that message on Friday. I still remember, and they told me that I have to report to the Royal Palace on Monday morning at the at the first hour. So I didn't have any time to think at all. Uh, so that was one of the most prized posting for me uh, to serve uh His majesty king of nepal who used to be the head of the state at that at that point of time as a as a adc yeah that is i would if when i go back i think that was one of the my culmination uh you know point of my entire professional life
0: oliver Well, well tell us what the royal palace was like and what your duties involved whilst you were there uh
1: so, in in palace, there used to be uh, two two group. One is called the permanent ADC who would come for the military. So they would serve as a senior ADC for their entire professional life. And there were other bunch who would call the junior ADC like me. So who would come from the Nepal police and also from the Nepal army, and they serve for two years, and they will go back to their own respective unit. Uh, so our job. I mean, as usual, um, as it happens in UK or, or, or any other country, our job was to provide the residential security to his master king and also uh, give a close protection security uh, when his master king or the, ro- or the royal family, uh, you know, used to have overseas visit or, or the domestic visit. So our primary job was to give a protection, uh, clo- close protection, all round close protection to his master king and the royal family members
0: and and what sort of training had you done in that sort of close protection role cuz i'm assuming is that as the adc is also a close protection officer you were with the king for a lot of, for a, for a long parts of the days when he was traveling when he was going to meet other uh, sovereigns around the world what was that travel like was there a, was there a lot of it involved
1: Oh my God! That training was another uh, another milestone. You know, the training was—I—I—I uh, I, I recall that training was more than uh, three months, three and a half months, and uh, you know, I mean, with purpose. Uh, every year, that training happens during the time of winter, and the winter in the Kathmandu is really harsh. Trust me, it's really harsh. Uh, <laughs> it's just like Canada or or UK during winter, and uh, they used to take us to the open field. You know, where where the classes would start early in the morning at five thirty. Uh, you know, and they include everything, house riding, uh, martial arts, unarmed combat, uh, the combat the shooting, uh, and all those kind of things. And trust me, most of the time, the, re, uh, the crown prince, used to come to visit us and you know he would he would he would uh, you know uh, do the uh, uh, the close quarter combat like boxing judo karate you know all this kind of thing and swimming and all yeah the training itself was very tough and then you have to qualify in the training oliver i mean it's not that you are selected as an adc but again provided uh, you have to qualify in that training unless you don't qualify they sent you back uh, so i was one of the few officers who actually stood first all round first who actually came from the Nepal police i think if 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 i'm correct there was only one or two officers in the entire um, uh adc history uh, coming from the nepal police who stood first so i was one of them so yeah the training itself was very tough really i mean the job uh was 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 not easy either so they 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 make sure that they qualify a very good officer they train and they expose those officers to confront, you know, any enforcing situations to protect the royal family. Yeah, the the training itself was very tough, Oliver.
0: You're listening to part one of my chat with former Nepalese police commander, Durga Kunwa. In part two, Durga talks us through the enormous challenges he faced in responding to the earthquake of 2015 and his management of rescue teams fighting to save the lives of people trapped right across Kathmandu and Mount Everest.
1: And all of a sudden, uh, you know, we got a call uh, that we might have a live victim under the rubble uh, in Gongabu, That's the main bus stop for the whole Kathmandu Valley. So I said, OK, hang on, I'm coming over there.
0: All this and more next on Protect and Serve. Protect and Serve is a Mashed Pumpkin production hosted by Oliver Lawrence Research and questions by Oliver Lawrence and Robert Wynne Stanley. Produced, edited and sound designed by Jack Lawrence.